spidey senses tingling. I wish I was in Carrick Fergus, if not for nights with Slim, the Irish host of the Paper Cake Podcast, episode 166. Welcome to this show, papercake.com. This is a book club style friendship fatherhood podcast. We talk about comic books and we'll do a book club. We all read the same book and then we talk about it later in the show. Punisher born. So thanks for checking the show out. You know, there's three hosts of the show. Living. We used to have a fourth host. He's underground. He's dead. Mark Farrington, God rest his soul. But we do have three living hosts. One of those is a writer. There you go. There's our street cred on the podcast. No street cred. He's a writer. He has written a comic book. There you have it. Alleged. Boom. In my own mind. Uh, spoilers, never published. But he does have a raging alcohol problem. Jonesy loves beer. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You know, raging implies that it's an angry version of alcoholism. I mean, and that's reserved for the other host of the show. I'm a pleasant, silent type of alcoholic. I don't sleep on concrete, Slim. Wow. Uh, that that kind of subtweet was directed towards the other host. Hashtag subtweet indictment. Who, uh, you know, has been known to drink scotch in a plastic cuppy in his basement. That's how desperate he gets. He's got two kids. He just wants an escape. He's got this podcast, not much else. I mean, he maybe does another book uh, podcast called Book Jug. It's about real books. Uh, Dale underscore I welcome back. Yeah, it's uh, great to be back. Book Jug out there on the podcatcher feeds. If you uh, do a search, <laughs> one of their Book Jug, all one word, me and my co-host, we do regular books. Look for our next episode, 1984, to be releasing. Could be just days away. I imagine... Could just when, be days away. When you know, Jonesy you have to is, host. when Jonesy is jovially drinking himself to death, he probably just like stares at the spot on the wall where his first published comic would go, and he probably just unzips his pants and starts peeing right on the paneling, <laughs> letting it drip and run down, and he just starts <laughs> laughing like like troll laughing. Spoilers, guys! I love wood paneling, and I have it in not one but two rooms in my uh, my homestead. You know, what's funny about that is you painted a great picture of Jonesy being such a raging alcoholic that he just pees in his own home on the walls. (laughs) The the, the human urine just puddling around many Christian Bale's feet as (laughs) he stands watch. Uh, For the new listeners, uh, I, for a birthday, got a three-foot-tall 
Christian Bale as Batman doll that lives in my basement and has very human-like eyes and <laughs> maybe I have conversations with uh, human-like a la Chucky. <laughs> but it's it's not even that. You you got that like a decade ago and it's yeah. just sitting in the same corner of that little den in your home. If you move that, I think the wood paneling yeah. will have a darker finish behind it. <laughs> That little and the little Christian Bale's always trying to play hide the soul with Jonesy when nobody else is around <laughs> in the house. The and then, and then his wife checks to the back panel to see if there's batteries, and there's no batteries. I mean, I don't even know. You know, speaking of soul, you know, Jones, we, running, dreamy event. You know, between the three of us, we all wanted to get together, play video games together. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, ice bucket challenge. You heard of this thing? My word, sweeping the nation. Are you bringing this up right now on a, on a live show of Paper Cake? Sweeping the nation. We put it to to Jonesy. We wanted to unite as friends. You know, we don't just do this show together. We like to hang out three, four times a year <laughs> if we can. Like Baltimore mm-hmm. Comic Con, be there. We'll be there. I told Jonesy if he gets a Titanfall Xbox One bundle and we're playing Friday night together, I will dump two ice buckets over my head. Looks like you'll be dry, my friend. My word, Walmart's open 24 hours. <sighs> wow. The nation, that sound you hear is a nation <laughs> weeping. I listen, can't believe. Listen, listeners and friends. Oh, here we go. The my, truth is going to spill out live. My beautiful, He's being evasive. My beautiful wife. Putting the blame on his wife. What for, a disgrace. For my birthday, my 33rd Jesus birthday, uh, compared himself to 32? Jesus. 32? 32? I don't know how old I am. Uh, the papers are unclear. Uh, so she got me the Assassin's Creed Unity, and it was not for Xbox One. And my monies, you know, I don't, I'm not like Slim with this uh, hot to trot, uh, secret of my success, Michael J. Fox job in New York City. I can't afford both next gen systems and i don't hate my wife so you know Have i you got bro- to first of all let's just ignore the fact that you just you grabbed your wife by the shoulders as if to kiss her and then you just threw her in front of a bus on this podcast and she's now under a bus listen we all know that she doesn't listen well she's but dead she knows, now because she, she just got over her. by a bus she knows they love her, and I'm afraid. What does she of, think about uh, you know the Xbox? What does she think about you know you using the monies that was spent for a PlayStation and then transferring said monetary value towards Xbox One Titanfall bundle? Your your I thoughts? I don't know if that's even been a conversation in my household. Look, we need to move I mean, on. We're running line, out of tape. Jonesy's we afraid. Are running out of Jonesy's tape. afraid to admit that yes, he is a PlayStation fan, which is fine. But, I mean, I have reason to believe that he has both existing systems in his house, the PS3 and the uh, Xbox I might 360. Have, I might. You guys want to hear something crazy? No. All right. Just saying. We're all just saying, Jonesy. I mean, let's be friends. Let's just accept the fact that Jonesy will never play with the three of us in a video game at the same time, ever. Not true. Not true. Just not Friday for Titanfall. We need to get into the comic talk. Jonesy, when you're not... Uh, busy disgracing your marriage. <laughs> what did you read this week? All right, I I have a conundrum. Mm. I have mm. two books that I really want to talk about, and uh, what I need you to is to decide 
where like pick your own adventure where this discussion is going to go because i read both the fade out by the critically acclaimed and close to my heart uh brew baker and phillips birds i also read this book called multiversity by grant morrison <laughs> i i would like to make a request for you to speak about multiversity and with a promise that the fade out will be discussed all right because wow. I need to hear what this is. I don't even get it. I'm All shocked. Right, so, I'm shocked that you chose multiversity. Because in my head, I picture Gen Z to just take his pants off and just spread his cheeks all over this. I but know, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, look. Like he's at some bachelor party game and he's trying to pick up this comic with his bare eight <laughs> cheeks. And he's just getting all Well, that was torn. kind of the plot of multiversity. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get into it. Multiversity. You know, Grant Morrison has a little more than what you call a cult following. Uh, sure, and uh, what is obvious to mine eyes, zero editorial input from anybody. He just does whatever the F he wants. And listen, multiversity, the only redeeming quality is that Barack Obama Superman is in it. This book, oh this gosh. Grant Morrison title is... Uh, the monitors, the 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 watcher esque uh, creatures of this DC universe. Uh, the last one is come under siege from a parallel Earth, and he tasks a super being called the Thunderer with sounding a cosmic alarm to summon uh, superheroes from all fifty two Earths to uh, to come and you know assist him. And fight a great evil. And much like Grant Morrison's writing style, he there's like a talking rabbit and uh, absurd characters along with Barack Superman. And he makes it so meta that you know that 18 details he sprinkles in won't come to fruition until issue 61. And it's super meta like this a part of the plot of this book is that you are in fact reading a comic book that is haunted and it's going to haunt you and that by the end of the 43 page book you are absolutely certain that as a reader you have read a comic book and that the characters in it know they have monthly comic books about themselves what i mean grant morrison has has dropped some acid and absolutely, Dan DiDeo has just led him into an opium den and said, create whatever you want, we'll publish it anyway. And we get Multiversity Issue 1. Barack Obama Superman, fantastic character, should get his own monthly series, awesome character in DCU. What the hell is Multiversity? Oh my gosh. I have one question. Why did you even read this book? I don't you know. You knew you weren't going to like it. Not true. Well, I name, love, name the last you know, Grant Batman Morrison. And Son. Batman and Son. I already knew your question. Phenomenal <laughs> trade. <laughs> so you, you were sitting back. You heard that Grant Morrison was going to do a universe-spanning series with characters you never heard of. And you, so you actually told yourself, you know what? I'm really excited for this. Because I seduced myself. <laughs> You gave in to the uh, the hype, the the Twitter I did. hype. You know, it was the ancillary character Twitter seduction. 
Mm-hmm. They and do. And I that. fell hook, line, and sinker. You know, some tweets that said, "If you don't know Grant, Mar- Grant Morrison, your opinions don't mean anything." And I was like, "Well, my opinions do mean some things to me, mm-hmm. and I should read this book." And here I am, flummoxed. Forty-eight million pages later, meta, 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 meta. My gosh. And I don't mean to be angry because, look, I'm not an angry guy. I love things. I love comic books. But I'm just confused as to what audience this book was written for. It's, it's written for Grant Morrison fans, the his acolytes <laughs> that read all 300 of his Batman issues or what have you, but it's not me. I'm not, not going to read it. Sorry. I mean, Sorry. anybody else have thoughts on this book? I mean, mm-hmm. am I look? Am I out of line? I mean, I'm usually am out of line. Let's be real. It's right. just not. It's not for us. Traditionally, it's, it's, out for, of line. it's for Grant Morrison fans. We're we're not gonna. I don't know. I'm, I have no desire to p- pick it up because I know I'm not gonna like it. It's just not for it's, me. It, I, I, you're absolutely right, Slim. I mean, if it's not, I know it's not for me. We know it's not for us. But that means some. There are people out there who who love it, and then that's awesome for them. You know, I think, you know, maybe they got this like a new 52 th- reboot under their belt. It's been three years and, uh, you know, higher ups at DC, like, well, like take a call from Grant Morrison, who's, you know, like pacing back and forth or he's just like wearing underwear, nothing else when he's on the call and, and it's in some uh, far off land and he starts pitching this thing and DC is just terrified that he might take this idea somewhere else sort of like well i guess we're just gonna have to let him do it here because he's gonna take it somewhere else so let's figure out how to work this into the new 52 i i mean but you definitely got the idea that there was absolutely zero editorial input did they even credit an editor in this book you gotta you gotta look at your your notes yeah i didn't i didn't read it i can i can tell you we need I mean, to. Uh, we need to move on. on. Enough there's a about this is a, I just don't want to hear. Sidekick. There's a sidekick, monkey, pirate captain, who features predominantly in a book about Superman. You just went to see Guardians of the Galaxy with a talking raccoon in a tree, Not and you the enjoyed same. it. How is that? Same. How is that different? I will say Ivan Reyes's art was stunning in this book. Mm, guys got got the chops. Sorry. We, um, we're running out of tape. We're running a lot of tape. Tape is expensive. We need to move mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to drop a bombshell on this show right now. Oh my God. The legs of which haven't been dropped since Jonesy said that he read Multiversity. Oh, my God. Remember that? <sighs> Remember that moment? Still quaking. Quaking in my booties. My thighs are chafing from the amount of sh- shaking my th- legs together are doing to Hickman. Hickmania. You know, I put it, I I had to go on a Hickbatical <laughs> and take a break from Jay Hickman's books. They got a little too, too crazy for me. A little too deep. A little too Morrison. I heard some rumblings that there was something magical happening in New Avengers. You know, with their incursion. The, the incursion storyline is going to be big in the Marvel universe. Essentially, another universe's Earth is melding into our world and will crush our planet and take over or destroy both. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> what? I mean, this is from like the first two issues of New Avengers, right? It's a storyline still going on. <laughs> this music has nothing to do with <laughs> anything. 
you you should have waited until I was talking about a book I loved or something, and then like you know start playing great eighties music, seventies, who knows? Slow hand. Now we have Slim to listen. Hand. Now we have to listen to this for four minutes until Jonesy forgets that it's on, <laughs> and then someone has to point out what's you know that what? music in the background. Let me just slowly fade. You know what? I think Shane loved loving you, and that's that. Jonesy making meta comments now. Just call me Grant. The Incursion, you're correct. The Incursion feels like it's been a storyline forever. I think the last Hickman book I read was dealing about the Incursion, and the Illuminati took it upon themselves that they need to destroy the Earth that is going to crush ours before we die. So let's kill these trillions of people to save our planet. The Illuminati made this decision. Captain America being the only person that said no, and they mind-wiped him. Oh my god. Dr. Light. <laughs> they want to. They decide to do this and they decide to take out this planet. And the three issues that I read to catch up, they're going to this other Earth to destroy it. And now when they finally have this weapon of destruction, none of them can actually press the button. You know, they're having second thoughts. And there's actually a really cool sub-story about Black Panther and all his ancestors telling them that he has to press the button to save their lineage and have it continue. And when he finally gets up the gall to do it, he can't. Namor decides to press the button. And then they do this, they're all disgusted with their actions, and they go home, and then they find out that um, another one is coming. None of them can press the button. So they decide that, okay, this is our last day. We're going to go hang out with our families and do whatever this character would do on their last day on the planet. So Tony is drinking, like, alcohol out of his mind. Hulk is, like, uh, went back to the spot where he was created. Mr. Fantastic goes to see his daughter. And then nothing happens when it's supposed to hit. So they're all shocked. And initially they think... Well, if it didn't happen, then we didn't have to destroy all those planets that we did. We did it for nothing. And then they realize that Namor is not there. And he has, spoilers, he pressed the button and he secretly formed his own villainous Illuminati with Thanos and the creepy Thanos um, helper from um, Infinity. So Namor is now destroying worlds with supervillains, and that's the the big reveal at the end of the issue. It was really good. Wow. I did not expect the second half of that conversation to turn out like it did. It sounds like what issue was that that you just spoke about? 23, maybe? <laughs> that's. I mean, I just don't think I have it in me. I mean, issue 23 and the incursion was the very relaunch of new avengers i think and, you know if you guys go back to the hickman archives they actually planted the seed for this and fantastic 410 <laughs> and now it's just finally coming to fruition i think the made the next marvel event is like the incursion i think the next avengers thing everything takes place like five years later i think the incursion oh, yeah. stuff has something to do with it oh i'm sure it does dale underscore a so i'm going back on hick Batacle. Yeah, I'm going to take another break. What did you read this week? I read, uh, spoilers, The Fade Out yes, by Ed Brubes, oh. Sean, what was it? Sean Phillips, colors by Elizabeth Brightweiser. And Bright I got, my heart, Weiser. 
I got this super duper fancy uh, old timey variant looking variant here. It looks like an old timey noiry mystery magazine that came out in the 30s, 30s, 40s. And the Fade Out is a new series by Broobs and uh, Phillips. And they are longtime collaborators, those two. I mean, they they know each other very, very well, and they have a very good working relationship, and we benefit from that. And The Fade Out is about 1940s Hollywood, and it it focuses on a character named Charlie, who is a screenwriter for a... Uh, a certain uh, production movie studio, Victory Movie Studios, I believe, Victory Pictures, and Charlie wakes up on the first page with a bit of a hangover in a bung like a bungalow that that's close to the movie studios, and he's ca- trying to recount what the heck happened the night before. He was uh, apparently so drunk after whatever happened that now he's in this bungalow. And he starts to uh, have to retrace his steps. So you go through a lot of flashbacks at first to kind of like uh, he puts himself at where he was, particular spots of the night. And then he uh, he recounts that he was at a couple of these parties and there was, you know, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of partying as, as, uh, as uh, you know, Hollywood in those days with no very loose rules, very loose morals. And he uh, he steps into the other room as he's like walking his way through the bungalow while flashbacking, and he sees a dead woman, a dead actric- actress that uh, was working on the movie he was writing for more specifically. And rather than take any kind of action whatsoever, he cleans up the bungalow, leaves no trace that he was ever there, and leaves. And... Uh, he, he makes his way back to the studio, gets uh, gets uh, sleeps it off there in his office, and then he, uh, uh, you know, and then he starts talking to some of the staff that's working on the movie and stuff, and they all find out that this uh, this actress Val has passed away, and then he finds out there's some sort of cover up happening because the head of security has the uh, for the movie studios has the police report on his desk, and with an with a photograph that didn't exist when Charlie woke up with the dead woman, but uh, there's a photograph of her hanging from a rope, and they're ruling this a suicide. So Charlie, A, he doesn't know what the heck is going on and why the movie studio, well, he knows the movie studio is covering it up, you know, to save face, but what do they really know and what are they trying to cover up? And then uh, at the end of the issue, he's, he's, he's he finally made it back home. He's fumbling around in his pants. He pulls out a pair, her pair of underwear. So she didn't have any underwear on, and they're in his pocket. But this, it, I mean, the first issue was fantastic. It was yeah. It was old timey. It was crime driven, and I tell you what I really, I just really like about it. That's different from most recently. Fatal is it's just crime. There's no supernatural, and I hope it stays that way. Not that I won't be entertained if it is, but I I hope it's just a crime drama. 
Reminds me of like the first time I saw LA Confidential. I mean, what a fantastic first issue of a comic. Uh, you know, what's striking me is that how many angles they could play that first issue. I mean, the second issue could just be another perspective from the party. It could be another set of characters because they name, what, seven or eight main characters in the preview page of the book? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways that this could go. Uh, the first issue is phenomenal, without a doubt. I I mean, the wonder kind of comics is, you know, Phillips and Brubaker. I mean, this book is a testament to what the medium can do. A phenomenal book. Yeah, just I'm just so completely impressed with it. And the art and the colors are just gorgeous. I mean... Phillips just has a knack with like making everybody look so unique and the colors used just to just depict that time period and in the back of the book at least in this variant I don't know if it's like that in the regular sing- single issues but Brubaker goes he does in the back of the book say that you know for the single issue readers he do- he likes to do a little bit more because he just loves that people love the comic and um he has like a historian working with him to like make sure he gets 1940s Los Angeles down and it he's just really excited about this project and you can you can tell by this passionate essay in the back and with all these with all the extras thrown in it's a really fantastic package you know what it really reminds me of when we read in cold blood mm-hmm. like a true crime yeah. scenario and I really got the feeling that Brubes was channeling like Capote in Kansas mm. in this story. And it was true crime, like to its core, a riveting true crime story. And I, I mean, I got chills when I read it. I don't know about you. Yeah. I mean, it was just the, 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 the world building, the fantas- the fantastic. A way he's done it with his writing and the art. I mean, everybody's just smoking and drinking during the day, and the colors and the uh, everybody loosey goosey with you know their language. It's you know it's very amoral back in those days. You know a lot of things were possible without being strung around the neck or slapped on the hand for you know not being politically correct or whatever. So there's a lot of like language thrown around. Racist, um, you know, getting uh, book jugged in a cl- in a storage closet. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's and that's just what happened back then. I mean, I have to take take their word for it. I was more, I'm more amazed that Sean Phillips didn't take any time off from Fatal Ending. I feel like Fatal ended last month, and now he's got another series mm-hmm. right away. Amazing. I don't know how he does it. I did read that stamina is how. Uh, this is the first time he's doing digital art. The first page mm-hmm. of this book was the first time he drew on like a Wacom, Wacam tablet instead of pencils, which I thought was a super interesting. Oh, wow. That is interesting, especially since I didn't, it wasn't noticeable. There you go. Which is fantastic. Two sentences or less. Lightning <clears throat> round. Daredevil, issue number seven. Easily the best tie-in issues of Original Sin. If they ever break up Wade Insomni, I might shed actual people tears. Starlight, number five. Mm. Mark Miller, Goran Parlov. 
we are living in a golden age of Goran Parlov, and we might never experience it ever again. Hmm. Valiant's The Delinquents, number one. Miniseries teaming up Archer and Armstrong and Quantum and Woody. Each team has one half of a treasure map that's inked on the cut-off butt cheeks of a hobo. The writing and visual gang gags in this book is uh, is need to be experienced. Butt cheeks. <laughs> start a podcast called butt cheeks mm. bc well pc for short on the, on the file <laughs> file names punisher born garth ennis Derek robertson legendary garth ennis wrote the book on punisher literally it's not written by garth ennis you know in the last 15 years it's probably garbage you know, that was a hyperbole, but All right. you're going to have to trust me on that. So Punisher Born, Max Series, R-rated comics, Vietnam. <laughs> the Nam, Frank Castle. Jonesy loves beer, please. What is this four-issue limited? Are you ready for my amazing synopsis about the way I own you right now? Mm-hmm. There, there have been some, you know, pushback against my synopsis claims that I don't read books. There we go. <laughs> However, just because I don't understand some books doesn't mean I don't read them. Jonesy with the thickest skin of someone you'll ever meet. <laughs> All right, so let's get it down. So in in the last days of Vietnam. Uh, Captain Frank Castle is barely holding together a fort of uh, Marines together. And he has a company, the last of a ragtag group of men that still want to fight the enemy as everything around them falls to drugs and violence and everything against what Frank stands for. The story trades between three real perspectives. There's Frank himself, Captain Castle. There's Goodwin, a uh, Marine Corps sergeant who's just days away, could be just days away from going home. Mm -hmm. And an inner voice whom we don't quite yet know who is speaking. And these four issues are the the tale of the last days of Frank Castle's uh, company in Vietnam. Uh, the first issue introduces you to what exactly happens over there. And just like in Fury Max, it's a fascinating view. You know, when I think military, I think everybody in a uniform, clean, ready to go, you know, our boys scenario. And, uh, you know, and this paints a, a picture of what it's like over there. You know, opium dems, men, forced to kill on the edge of death themselves, you know, escape to drugs. And we have the almost angelic character, Frank Castle, who is 
there to be the right person and to lead these men. And Frank uh, gets a inspecting general killed when he wants to shut down uh, this last outpost against the uh, the Viet Cong. And yeah, throughout the theme of this book, Frank kind of picks up on the the idea that the uh, the Viet Cong is prepared to make a final strike. You know, there, there's a big supply line shipping out ammunitions and guns and, and supplies that he's kind of trying to disrupt. And he kind of puts the pieces together that there's a big strike coming. And as the book progresses, it kind of unfolds that impending doom scenario. Goodwin is the is us. He's the everyman in this book. The kind of explains how awful Vietnam is, but beyond the awfulness of the war, Captain Castle is something else. He's something inhuman. He's a totem of violence and war. Goodwin himself says he must be in love with war the way he acts. And Frank Castle does extreme things before the final issue. There's a there's a terrible scene where they capture a a uh, female sniper, and uh, one of the other Marines is about to, you know, do awful things to her, and he shoots her and says, "We're not here to do that. We're here to kill the enemy." And at the end of that issue, Goodwin stumbles into a clearing, and in martial justice, Castle drowns that guy, and. One of the things that lets you into what this series is really about is Castle explains to Goodwin that I didn't do it to be cruel to her or to be that mean, but I know if I let her live that somebody beyond me was going to be even worse to her than we could ever possibly treat her, and that was the humane thing to do. And that's that's kind of this voice, this third character in the series kind of gives Castle this advice to do these things. And in the final book, Frank is right. There's a huge push to kill everyone on this base. What Frank has been warning everybody for for the previous three issues happens. And they're attacked. And Frank, Frank's point of view in this, this disembodied voice have like a conversation and this voice is egging him on he says all you have to do is say yes and let me out and and pay a price and i'll let you live through this attack and then you realize that that voice is the punisher that the punisher was something that frank kept bottled in himself and there's a wonderful line where he says that maybe my wife and kids are my last hope the last guardians against the punisher getting out and it's the greatest prequel, the most poignant prequel to a character that maybe I've ever read. And one of the greatest wartime stories that I think is out there. Punisher Born. Fantastic. Recap there. I mean, I will say it's up to interpretation who the voice is. It's up to the reader. Yeah. And also that woman definitely did get arred, unfortunately, yeah, in the did. book. She got it. Good grief. I think this was the first Max book that I read. I'm not sure if that's accurate, mm. but if I remember when I first started reading it, I, I remember it being absurdly violent, like brain matter on every other page. 
mm-hmm. the Viet Cong just destroyed into hamburger meat <laughs> by the soldiers. Give me the 60. And Jeez. really, really like total, you're in Vietnam when you're reading this book. And the one scene that Jensi described with the female, like she was uh, getting assaulted and then he shoots her in the head while she's getting assaulted and he's like, no rape. We only, we kill the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then um, Goodwin sees him murder the guy that was doing the assaulting later while nobody was looking. And he talks about the reason was, what, the other part was interesting. Jensi said that he killed her because she probably was going to get worse later. But he killed, he'd waited to kill the assaulter because he couldn't do it in front of his men because he would right. lose them. He would lose his men if, A, he murdered this guy and he let this woman get medical attention. Yeah. So there was like, yeah, he did it to save her, but he really did did some extremely dark things to stay in war during this book. Yeah, the, I mean, the monologue, and it's uh, from, from Goodwin, but he's speaking about Frank Castle, the first issue or the first two issues where he sets up Captain Frank Castle. I mean, it's just stupendous storytelling on and describing this uh, captain who he really doesn't have any place leading men, but he, it's basically described as he took that as opposed to being shipped off and not being in combat, in active combat, because he is so addicted to the life that's all he knows like and goodwin i think goodwin might have uh, brought up the fact that he didn't want to turn into like frank into castle because mm-hmm. castle is so he doesn't know anything better that's his happiness even though he's completely miserable and 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 uh he ch- lets it show he doesn't know any other life that's all he like that's how he he lives and breathes and the way that's told in storytelling is just completely amazing and it, you know and then it, it, it hit the actions he takes like you i said he goes so far as to when there's a, a general come to inspect the base saying the base is going to be shut down asap he just needed to, one more inspection to just uh you know t- to confirm his suspicions before he got back on that huey and he's going to tell you know whoever's in charge to shut the base down Frank Castle got him shot by a sniper. Like he's like, go up to the top of that hill, and you'll see why you need to keep this open, knowing full well. And he's like, he's like leaning on the sign that says like sniper fire. Do not put your yeah, head above was, this wall. I mean, that was bonkers. I, Crazy. I can't remember if I think the Punisher Max series maybe was going on around this time also, but you have to view this Punisher as like the ultimate realistic version as much as you can get of the Marvel universe character, Mm -hmm. the series eventually had some like really, um, I don't know. I mean, just, just crazy dark. Like you read some of this stuff and realize like, wow, they're making this Marvel superhero do some really effed up stuff. But the way Garth Ennis tells the story, it's, you know, Punisher is really just a messed up dude in this book. Yeah. He really, I mean, what everybody who knows, you know, something about comic books is the Punisher turned into the Punisher because his family was killed. 
And yeah, he was skilled because he was in Vietnam. He's skilled and he knew how to use weaponry, and that's why he that's his go-to when he turns into the Punisher. But he's like, this is just... The Punisher is rooted so deep into Frank Castle that long before his family was murdered on the, that sweet beach of Miami with blonde Thomas Jane, <laughs> he was... God. He was Watch. completely like mental and and just ready what happened with that punisher movie i mean not only did they move him to miami but it wasn't just his wife and kids that were murdered it was an entire oh. extended family That's right. like it was, 80 people it was like a family it's, reunion it, somehow brody from jaws was his dad let's kill our childhood and the punisher's family i'll tell you what that trailer for that movie was pretty good though with that little like Johnny Cash wannabe singing that song? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I, I didn't mind. You the brought so a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> but I that, think. like the Punisher, being rooted deep down is. I mean, and and to see that come to life and how he interacts with Frank Castle, and also what Jonesy said is just how you know realistic war can be. I mean. You'd, like like Jonesy said, it's, you think about war and your the boys in blue, you know, the the boys coming home and U.S. soldiers doing their thing. But like, the, it just if anything, it, it you know, I kind of knew this stuff about Vietnam, but it to see it and the way it was written, but to see it on the page, like soldiers, and I know this is definitely true, but soldiers becoming addicted to heroin, like you think. These soldiers would have something to do all day and are in co- and are in falling in line and being commanded and always given tasks and stuff. But what this was is people like soldiers hiding out in bunkers away from command and just doing heroin and being like blissed out of their head and doing the most amoral things you could think of because scalping. Yeah, like scout like crazy. I don't want to say like. A vacation because it, because it wasn't. But I mean, we we go away to Baltimore and we live it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Because we're away from our families, we're by ourselves, we're drinking. But these guys, Stop. like these, so, you the soldiers probably had that feeling, but to the nth degree. They have weapons, they have grenades, they have ammunition. They're killing people day in and day out they they have such like a sense of empowerment that it just makes them feel like they could probably do just the the most bloody disgusting things ever because it's not really them they're they're soldiers in a war away from their families away from their home in south jersey it's it's just completely and and all this was going through my head i was reading it i was i was reading about angel getting high and you know, as Goodwin was describing his platoon about the, you know, the guy who just liked to throw grenades and the guy who had a bag full of scalps. I mean, it was yeah. all there in this four-issue miniseries. It was incredible. What was even more bonkers is Garth Ennis. I mean, Garth Ennis's Punisher run is legit legendary. The the Mac, the Max stuff um, with I can't remember the artist's name, like Leonardo Rizzo or Rizzi. I mean, some of the best stuff when Microchip comes back, amazing. But the relationship between Goodwin and Angel, like, you feel for, like, these characters. Goodwin is daydreaming about having a family, having a son, but never telling the son what he did in Vietnam or what he saw in Vietnam. Mm. And, they're like, he's best friends with Angel, and he even alludes to Angel, like, saving his life 
and he feels like indebted to him, but they have this talk about America and what this war means and the real America. But in my head, I was like, man, the relationships you make in war, what is that relationship like in home? If they ever made it home, would they be friends? Would they talk to each other on the phone? Like, yeah, what is yeah. that like? Like, they're in their own pocket universe in Vietnam. They know each other. They're close. They're closer than brothers. Yeah, they're intimate. But when, but mean, when they get to America, when they get back to real life, what is that like? That's got to be like, it shook me a little bit. Like, what is it like to go to war in this setting and then come home? Like, I would probably be shell-shocked. I'd probably be one of those, I'd have, like, that, you know, I'd, I'd be in a mental institution. And and you just you just picture, like, you you have these fan- daydreams about, you know, finally hooking up with uh, your, your friend again who you haven't seen, who lives maybe a thousand miles away from you. But when you see him, what do you, you probably don't have anything to say to the guy. You're two different people in when you're in a setting that's not war. That messes with people's heads. Yeah, that's my head. That brings me to the for me the most poignant uh, maybe section of this book, and that's the final issue when Goodwin is finally puts himself in harm's way to save Captain Castle. He throws away his chance of leaving, and one second he's about to turn loose the flame, and the next second, like three beautiful stewardesses are lifting him up into a plane and pampering him and flying him out of Vietnam. Can I can I just say it, it almost brought a tear to my eye once I figured out that this was a tribute to nah. Goodwin in his yeah. afterlife. I was like, Garth Ennis has got it. Whatever it is, he's got it. Because what a moment. It, it's such an incredible moment, a story point that doesn't bring you out of it doesn't bring you out of a war story and makes you just feel for this tragic outcome of this guy who's got no who had all the hope in the world now has no hope and the only thing he has left is to die alone next to the punisher in vietnam and he's getting his final wish in heaven as he Mm -hmm. gets onto that great plane in the sky just i mean this this whole series could be a study, could be a masterwork in how to tell a visual medium story. I would have loved like a 24 issue series of this. Like four issues yeah. felt like it was just a taste of what Garth Ennis could have done with the Punisher in Vietnam. Like unbelievable war epic. Mm-hmm. Just the tragedy and realness of war would have been unbelievable. But, um, the ending, like the the voice in his head, um, I did for the. This is like the fifth time I've read this, but the first time in a while, where he was talking to that voice. At first, I did think it was kind of him, like it's just the darkness in him. But at the end, it almost alluded to being like a Mephisto type character, like that was like granting him some kind of wish. And I don't know if that was obviously Grant's uh, or Garth's intention because I don't feel like that's something he would do in a Max series, but it yeah. did come off that way a little bit in the final conversation. Yeah, I agree because it everything else about it felt so real and gritty like it was a crazy voice inside of his own head, but the but the fact that it like foreshadowed so realistically 
and the voice saying, like, I've, I've already lined things up to, you know, take care, things will be taken care of on my end, like, so, to I hold up from the bu- end of the bargain yeah, for me. I didn't like, get that at all. I mean, that hmm. like, if that part doesn't make sense to me for it to be the darkness in Frank, like, why would the darkness right. in Frank what? say, oh, I've taken precautions to make sure that this happens for you? Like, what? what does that mean? Because you live by the gun, you die by the gun. And somebody no who regrets. is so yeah. <laughs> haircut, no regrets. Who cares? Uh, actually, my hair looks a lot like the original Punisher appearance uh, with these does, huge actually. cul-de-sacs, uh, which I specifically did for this episode. I'll have you know. Uh, but if you live, if you come back from Vietnam and you're trying to get into society and you're a stone-cold killer... You're not going to put yourself in situations where danger might happen again or danger might not happen again. You, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, like live by the sword, die by the sword. You have already painted your path in life. And just for people to be around you are going to be in danger. So I took it as the voice saying, you've already made your choice. And everything you love will be taken away because of the choices you made. Hmm. And I didn't take it so literal as that was a character who was setting up Frank to fail. I thought it was his own psychosis Hmm. kind of paving the way for that to happen. A lot of metaphors and allegories being spun out here. Yeah, Pen is money other than sword. Sticks and stones. Break my bones. (laughs) The... The interesting part, I, I forgot to triple check what it was from, but the outfits that the family is wearing that where they see Frank are the same in another Frank uh, Punisher story. And I'm kicking myself now, but it was a really cool nod to another story where you see the family meet Frank in, after Vietnam. And oh, now, really? Yeah, it's a, wow. I feel like a jerk bringing it up because I don't remember the exact issue, but it's just a really cool <laughs> tie-in to another, I think, Garth Ennis story. I mean, for, and it's not, this is, this deserves to be read. You got to find it. It's not available digitally. I don't know if it's on Marvel Unlimited, but mm. um, I actually happened to, to to find it in a random comic shop uh, last week on my way home from work. I have and, it in uh, singles. Hardcover. Hardcover. Yeah. This Marvel hardcover was only $18. Your mortgage team is about to storm <laughs> your house like Frank Castle's lost unit. <laughs> I feel like we we should talk about uh, Derek Roberts and stuff because I think this is some of his strongest stuff that I've read, and and not only his artwork, but the uh, Paul Mounts on colors did like this. I don't know how to describe it, but it just felt like a really humane coloring job on like all the characters' faces. They felt like mm. some of the best skin tones on characters that I remember seeing, and I don't know how else to describe it, but I mean just gruesome realistic art that i don't think i've seen elsewhere mm-hmm. i mean and really like it's like weird to say but only you can get in a punisher book um if there was one thing that i noticed it's that he drew frank almost so photorealistic in some panels that it didn't match up with some of the other panels like the square jaw frank didn't match up with mm-hmm. this like thinning frame jaw frank castle that looked amazing but it was like they kind of didn't match up in a lot of the issues i don't know why that was but i mean it was amazing yeah like some of the some of his uh, profile pictures when it was up close on his face he was like super square jawed like the frank like the punisher you know mm-hmm. in other 
in other stories, yeah. And then, the, the, like, especially the uh, the last one where he's just surrounded by dead bodies. He's just totally, totally He's got, like, those red wired. eyes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And that was, and that's just, when he's being rescued, it's just another, like, reality of war. Like, you, you think these, you know, guys swooping in and rescuing each other and stuff, but they're like... Let's just get this kook on the helicopter, and as soon as we drop him off, we'll be done with him. I don't know what's... He's effed sideways, but we don't know what's wrong with him, but he's somebody else's problem. Like, that's that's like real-life stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These guys from another platoon, they don't know beans about Frank Castle, and he looks crazy, so let's let's get him off the ground. That's our orders. Drop him off so he's somebody else's problem. You know what would have been great would be like a Fury Max-type Punisher book where... Maybe he doesn't, you know, live forever since he's uh, essentially ageless. But uh, like, <laughs> God, we we'll have to mark this episode explicit. Yeah, really. But uh, like Max. a twenty twenty-seven issue, you know, starts maybe like in army training, goes through oh, Vietnam. Oh, man. Yeah. He comes back home in like the eighties, and then he does. Oh, like, he punishes Ooh. for like twenty books, and then he ages like uh, Fury. Oh gosh. Bring in Shirley DeFabio. You know, bring her along for the ride. For a guest, special guest appearance. And maybe one <laughs> issue, Frank and Fury meet up. And you could call the episode a Shore Leave, S-H-U-R-E. Ugh. Did I just Writer pitch? to the Stars. That is the most writer. perfect title. That should be the meta capture for the show. Surely, S U R S H. I don't know what I'm saying. S U R E. Sure. You need some editorial controls placed on you, Jonesy. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't need any editorial controls. I don't write whatever we want. I'm gonna have a big rabbit with Superman. That's what I'm gonna write. Four issues, Punisher Born. Guys, you need to check it out. Fury Born. We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. Farrington's gonna read them to you. All right, we got some letters. Uh, the f- big show. <laughs> we got some letters here, folks. Thank you, as always, for the letters. Uh, letters at paperkeg.com. The first one uh, reads, Hey, guys, the last few episodes of Paper Keg have been great. Too many good things to say about them, so I'm not even going to try. However, please don't get rid of the What Did Everyone Read This Week segment. Hmm. I rely on that one to tell me which books I should be reading. With three little kids, I don't make it to the LCS very often, so when I do, I want to know exactly what I'm looking for. I gotta say, in case no one has noticed... They haven't. Jonesy has really been shining lately. No, I'm not talking about the reflective qualities of that alabaster skin of his. (laughs) I'm talking about a synopsis, commentary, and enthusiasm for the book club books. 
Jonesy, I listened to those Echo Rift episodes you did, and I thought they were very, they they were really good. Not very. There's no, he didn't say very for the record. <laughs> Let the record I, show there was no very Let used. the record show he wasn't that impressed. I was pretty interested in that one, uh, in that one about being a Freemason. Not interested enough to sign up, of course, but I thought it was a very cool slash brave thing to open up about on a podcast. You're climbing right out of that least favorite host position real quick. Keep it up, babe. Lastly, and cue my bagpipes, if and when the last episode of Paper Keg does come upon us, my prediction is that the bright light enveloping Jonesy every episode will be revealed to be the shaft of light from a tractor beam that lifts him back into his Freemason mother trip. (laughs) Only time will tell. Thanks for putting out a consistently good show... That's uh, Sean Gregory Miller of uh, the Originals fame and uh, his own publishing line, Anchor Comics. I Check love AnchorComics.com. One of the few compliments I get is wrapped in a gigantic troll against me. I can't have one without the other. I feel like Sean saw that barrage of tweets that Jonesy got taking heat for a most um, some of his recent synopsises as... Uh, what was the right. most recent one? Ad custom on the Twitter really put oh, the boy. boots to you. Really, because that guy's a joke. Come on, Chuck. Oh my word, Ooh. Chucky Soul, uh, Superman, the Seal, Wonder man. Woman synopsis uh, uh, was dead on. By the way, hmm. what I did was I called Doomsday Bizarro by accident, and the uh, the effing podcast Twitter police got on my ass for it. And somebody had to take to Twitter because Jonesy said the wrong word. I hope you're happy and you eat your own ass and die. That's thick skin. The thickest you'll find. Jonesy can take a joke like nobody else you'll ever meet. Uh, next, I'm sorry, next letter, excuse me. Because <laughs> he was too busy <laughs> <with> fuming, <laughs> I know, still to realize that he was up. Seething. Okay, here we go. Uh, lads, another week has gone by. Another chance to envelop myself in the mellifluous and dulcet tones that you male supremes of Penna and Jay create every week. Then I found the Legend Special Edition, and I knew... Oh, I knew that Dale underscore A had been rooting around my brain, pilfering my 80s environs, mining it for ideas. Blix. <laughs> higher, higher, burning fire. What a treat. A movie I remember seeing in the theater, Mia Sarah decked out in her non-existent finery, Tangerine Dream wafting through the cinema house. You guys brought me back to my days of teenage fancy free. Now, just do Howard the Duck. I dare you. Of course, do keep up the excellent work and keep on keeping me informed about the latest and funny books that I should be reading. Any thoughts as to the new creative team for Batgirl? What about this new S.H.I.E.L.D. book that will essentially ape the TV show? Any love for the ongoing X-File titles? From IDW. Also, Jonesy was totally right about being about Legend being two movies. I totally understand what he says when he says the second part is darkness macking on Lily. Can we get a How? verification that that's in that letter, please? Can you? Yeah. How did you guys not see it? Uh, <clears throat> be well, lads. Be true. 
Be paper keg. By Dale's elliptical, I am <laughs> your friend and fan, Matt in the G-Side sector. That's at Gorilla Scribe on the Twitter. Hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic letter. Excellent points about it being two movies, I should say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty excited about the new Batgirl creative team. Yeah. Hip. These yeah. Hip cats. I honestly really hip. am, too. I, I'm... Uh, I'm pumped. I was. I think I might. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I need to pre-order. I think my. You know, the comic book shop in Delaware will have enough on hand. But I don't know. Sure, it's I, I, like there's there's a uh, there's like a vibe building around it, and it's it's really good energy. People are really positive about it, and I, I think you know just the the promotional images are like I don't know. They're just cool. It makes mm-hmm. me want to read it because they're so cool. Yeah. Like the attitude that Batgirl has, taking the you know the picture in the mirror, it's it's really, really cool. I'm really excited for it. Gen Z, do you read that X Files book? No, no, I don't. Uh, that does sound like something up my alley, though. I was like one of the ten people on the planet that enjoyed that first X Files movie. <laughs> Did you see? The, wasn't there a second one? Uh, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, it was like recent. I want to say recent, but way more recent than the first one what a show i tell you letters the x-files though that uh that monster of the week format that was good stuff back in the day i have never watched a full episode of the x-files whoa whoa Whoa. bombshell whoa right you know there you have it folks still flying still here joss joss we're still out there still (laughs) still what a show (laughs) What Chris, Chris, we're still filing. Still filing. Still filing. <laughs> Next week, PK Knights returns. Boy, if you'd like to send me some satin under things to wear on the era, uh, DM me. I'll give you my home address. PK under things. Knights. We'll see everybody next week. Satin. Black silk underwear. <laughs> Do it dismally. Do it slowly. Mike in this music for the for the list. Mike that in. Pipe it in. Whatever you call your editing magic. Mike it in. It's not even the Let that guitar take you away.
It's not even. I pulled a Dale just there. Let me see where your right hand is right now. <laughs> but with but with Matt with Slim's uh, tension levels right now, I mean he's, he might cancel the show because I of that last stunt you pulled. <laughs> you know, our plan was to have 166 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> the so yeah, editing this show is going to be a total s show. Uh-huh. It's not even the mic because actually I turned my mic off while I played the outro music and it's still fizz. Oh wow! So it is electrical surge, Bloomfield, New Jersey, thunderstorm. It's got to be it. It's the only thing I can think of. Ozone. It's the ozone. The ozone. Those stinky libs have tried to prove their point about climate control and and you know all that stuff. They're doing whatever it takes. I believe it. Yeah, my stinky lib speech didn't get fizzed out. Yeah, see, the exactly. one thing that could have easily been fizzed out by I this think junk. The, the Twitter app sponsored that tweet. I think. Oh my word! Here we go. What a mess! <laughs> I'll throw this thing in the garbage. Oh. And the worst part is, you still sound ninety-five percent better than Eddie's Skype colleagues. <laughs> Something else I read that I wanted to talk about, but I can't. Let me see. If I can How many times would I tell you? All new X-Men. Know, you guys you know, are apprised? You guys keeping up on that? I thought the last issue was really good with Let's Angel see. and Wolverine's daughter. Yeah. Next love three. And you know what else I really loved is that there was like a two or two page spread or at least one two page spread where Bennis didn't have text and he just let the art do the talking mm-hmm. at that dance club. Tell you what. Mm. Oh, yeah. That dance mm. club spread was amazing. It was like comical and fantastic. So great. Loved and, it. And uh, the uh, Jean Grey Emma psychic battle yeah. had one like that too with fair, maybe one or two word bubbles. That's it. I read um, a book called Saga of a Doomed Universe. Hmm. I think it's a submit title. And it's it had a really cool cover. It was like the superhero melting to death. Graphic novel by Scott Reed, Act One. And it's got this really cool kind of old school vibe on the cover. I meant to at reply you, Jonesy, about it. The book is like told in the 80s vibe of superhero books. Like really over the top. Kind of like cliched superhero book. Okay, I'm with you. Um, which is entertaining in and of itself. It's got like the, the dot color dot matrix style of coloring the book. So it's really kind of fl- like really in your face jokey. But something terrible happens where the villain finally has this plan where he just like starts murdering the heroes. So it's like at odds with the vibe of the story and really becomes really dark. But there's this weird thing that the writer does where he redacts some of the text in the comic and he talks as the writer of the book and says they're after me they just came to my door they don't want you i'm trying to tell you the real story behind this book sounds like a better version of multiversity right now and i've never seen anything like it in a comic book before so he there's a if the book was just printed as this kind of hokey homage to 70s books or whatever it would have been great but then he just starts like adding in this weird subtext about something else happening and this story of like the publisher saga comics going under for some mysterious reason it was really weird 
I kind of like that, just but, in the um, description. Yeah, we should get... It's like 55 pages. It's called um, The Saga of a Doomed Universe. I'll check it out. If anything, I mean, it's a experimental comic book that I've never read before. Hmm. Yeah, wow. Not bad. Uh, Outcast 2, I finally read. Starlight, so good. Outcast. That book is next level. Um, Batman and Robin. Dale, are you caught up on Skull Kickers yet? No, I'm very far behind on Skull Kickers. Is it is it another sta- Tales from the Skull Kickers or no? It's it's Skull Kickers, Skull Kickers. He's up to issue twenty nine at this point. Issue twenty nine is hysterical. Is it? Mm. I mean, you're so bad. I, I mean, anything I would say at this point would spoil you, but yeah, just can't wait to chum it up with Jim Zub at BCC. Talk Skull Kickers like we did last time. You know, not oh, to yeah. drop, not to name drop, but, you know, me, Dale, Jim Zub, talking about Volume 1, Skull Kickers, getting some signed hardcovers, just talking about how he's the hardest working man in comics right now, guys flying all over the planet. That hasn't changed in one year, either. He's, he might be working harder. Yeah, possibly. You know, he's got, uh, he's got Pathfinder, he's got Samurai Jack, he's still got his Skull Kickers to write, I and mean, how's the guy sleep? He's got the D&D comic coming know. out. Oh, I can't wait for that. Good for him. It's going to be he amazing. Feels, he feels like a guy uh, just strikes me as you feel good when he gets like high-profile gigs. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just not not only that, but he's a, like, I mean, not that anybody else is not a real person, but he's just a real <laughs> down-to-earth dude, and like you could have a beer with Jim Zub, and he would shoot the S and, you know, cheers glasses. Really great guy. Really, he might be. The Wait until Jim hard. Zub sees Jonesy and Baltimore Comic Con stroll up in his cargo shorts and his his Hanes tee. I might switch to the paper cake shirt for the. Yeah, you know, I, I might have to. <laughs> I mean, Hanes tee will be in reserve, guys. Sure, but, you of know, course. Yeah, you be, can't wear paper cake all three days. I mean, no, that would can't. just be grody, shirts. as the kids would say. I might, you know, I might depending on the weather, I might throw on a Gap crew neck. You know, maybe a flannel, plaid, a short work. sleeve. Real skinny and tight. Wear my wife's jeans. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. And my chucks. Callback. Yeah, what more in life is there? Just, I just, not I just, friend. If I drop my keys, you guys have to pick them up for me because I can't band over in those jeans. You can't band over? Yeah. I just looked at uh, Baltimore's website. Garth Ennis will be there on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to give... I'll have to get the 60 out, 60, and just start ending. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fill with ammunition. <laughs> <laughs>